Hey, good morning, everyone. How's it going? My name is Eric. It's good to be with you all this morning. This morning, we're going to be going over, as the slide says there, the story of Joseph. And Joseph's story is one that is all about circumstances and how to handle different circumstances in our life. When I think about circumstances, I think about uh, when I first graduated and the first job I got right out of college. I was living out this way in Monterey Park, but my job was in Santa Monica. And as you know, probably being here in Los Angeles, there's a lot of traffic in between Santa Monica and Monterey Park. And that is not really a circumstance I wanted. Uh, it wouldn't be one that I, I would want to be in. So I developed the perfect plan to avoid traffic because my workplace was very kind to allow me to work in basically any hours I wanted to, any shift. And so I was like, well, I'll work from 7 to 3.30, get my eight hours in, and you know, be in and out back home in like five minutes or something. It's not going to be that bad. It's arrogance, but that's what I thought. And the first day of work comes, and it started pretty well. I left my house at like 5.30 in the morning, got there in like 30 minutes. It was great. It was like a world record. This is going perfect. No traffic. So I'm excited to go home. I'm starting to drive home. Every light is green. Things are great. We get on the freeway, bumper to bumper traffic. I'm like, why? Shouldn't you all be at work? What are you all doing here? <laughs> And so for the next three years or so, I was in 90 minutes of traffic every single day going home. Uh, and as you can imagine, started getting very frustrated. That was not a circumstance I wanted. Fast forward about two years or so, or not two years, two months, not two years. And we're out here just, at, just grilling, having lunch after church with some friends. And they're asking me, how's work going? I'm telling them, oh, it's going fine. You know, coworkers are great. Work is great. Um, but traffic, man, traffic is really tough. And I'm complaining a little bit about the traffic. And one of my friends, she's sitting there. She hasn't said anything the whole conversation. But she looks at me after I'm done talking about the traffic, and she says, Eric, you chose that. I was like, <laughs> like what? It's like a punch in the stomach. Like, this is Los Angeles' fault. And I didn't say that. I thought that. But I realized later she was right. You know, I didn't, I didn't have control over the, lost, the patterns of traffic in Los Angeles. I don't have control over that. But... I did have control over how I responded to that situation. And as I thought through that, that really changed how I approached this unfortunate circumstance of being in traffic so long. You know, I used that time to pray. I used it to listen to messages. And honestly, for a lot of it, I just listened to sports talk radio and kind of relaxed and enjoyed catching up on the Lakers and the Dodgers and stuff like that. But my attitude and my approach to this circumstance I was in really changed after that. And I tell this story because I think it illustrates pretty well how we... We can tend to view tough circumstances in life as obstacles. There are things in our life that are getting in the way of the life that we want to live. Again, maybe it's a rough commute. Maybe the, the housing market has priced you out. Maybe it's a, 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 the health of a family member or something like that. But we all have these tough things in our life, these tough circumstances. And it can be really easy to become frustrated, angry. You know, we think, oh, it's not fair. Why me? Has God forgotten about me? And since we see them as obstacles, our approach usually is to try to go around and through and anything we can do to get out of that situation into the situation that we want. But the problem is, a lot of the times, we don't control our circumstances. You know, we don't have control over some of these things. God is in control. And if he wants you in a certain circumstance, you're going to be in that circumstance. Now, is that because God is evil? He likes to frustrate us or something? No. No, quite the opposite. God is good. 
and he allows us to experience different circumstances in life for our good. We see this in Romans 8, starting in verse 28 and going into verse 29. We know that for those who love God, all things, all circumstances, work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he may be the firstborn among many brothers. You see, according to that verse, God uses all circumstances in our life for good, for his good purposes, and ultimately to develop uh, in us Christ-like character, which is a very important thing. You see, God is for, far more concerned with his ultimate good plans and purpose and, char- and our character than how our life goes and the circumstances we find ourselves in. So if that's true, we have two options. Option one, we can continue to view circumstances as obstacles. We can continue to try to keep changing them, go above, around, through, whatever we can do, and just keep running up against God's reality that you will be in that circumstance if he wants you to be in it. Or we can do the better thing. Because you see, we don't control circumstances, but we do control our choices. We control our choices, and in the midst of any circumstance, no matter how difficult, we can choose to glorify God. We can choose to obey him and trust him and come alongside him and what he's trying to do in our life. You see, this scripture shows us that our circumstances, they're not meant to be obstacles. They're actually opportunities. They're opportunities for us to choose to come alongside God and be a part of the bigger story that he is telling. And that's what the story of Joseph is all about and shows us. It's a long story. It's from Genesis 37 to 50, so we can't read the whole thing. Um, that'd be a really long message. I encourage you to read it after this. And um, there's a lot of great detail in there. But Joseph starts off his life in amazing circumstances. He is the son of a wealthy landowner named Jacob. Not only is he the son, he is the favorite son of 12. And to signify this, Jacob gives Joseph a coat of many colors. You've probably heard about that. Um, so Joseph starts off his life with favor, wealth, excellent wardrobe, just everything you could want in life. And on top of that, Joseph starts having these dreams. And in these dreams, through symbolism, it is revealed that eventually Joseph's parents and his brothers are all going to bow down to him. So on top of the favor, wealth, and excellent wardrobe, he has a a future. You know, these are great prospects. I'm sure Joseph, at this point in his life, was feeling pretty good about where his life was headed. But unfortunately, his brothers don't like that. And they get jealous. And they decide to kill him. But then, at the last minute, they either have a change of heart or a stroke of greed or something like that, and they say, well, instead of that, we'll just sell him into slavery and make a couple bucks. Now, imagine what that would be like. You go from literally the top of the heap, all the best circumstances you can imagine, to to literally having nothing. Everything you have has been stripped away from you for things outside of your control. Just think of the whiplash that that would cause. And again, it's not just something random either. It's your brothers who did this, your family, the ones who are supposed to be taking care of you. You're forced to march across the desert to an unknown land where you don't know the language, you don't know anyone, you have no value. Life is, is ruined, right? Like his, his life is over and he has no control over any of that. You know, what, would, what would you have done? I, I would have really struggled, I think. Why me? It's not fair. Has God forgotten about me? Well, let's take a look at what Joseph does in Genesis 39. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man. And he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. 
and goes on. From the, from the time that he made him his overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. So Joseph has a very different reaction, I think, than most of us would have. Despite these horrible, uncontrollable circumstances, Joseph, he focuses on his choices. He chooses to glorify God, right? Rather than giving into the despair and, and just dwelling on why me, what's going on, he chooses to do what is right before God. He works hard and he ends up becoming a, a light to the Egyptians. You know, if you go before it, the slide before this, you see that they, they realize that God is with him. The Lord is with them. Now, of course, as a slave, there would be some expectation of work, right? But it seems like Joseph is going above and beyond that to, to come into this situation where he's, he's running things, essentially. Now, I have a couple observations here. Observation one, it says it right there at the start of verse two, the Lord was with Joseph. And we see all throughout this passage references to God being with him. And I think this shows us that, you know, in any circumstance you're in, you are not alone. God is with you. Even when things seem the darkest, God is still there with you. And remember, Romans 8, 28, 29, he wants to use that for your good. Joseph understands that. Everyone else had forgotten Joseph. Everyone else he knew, but God did not. And Joseph knew that. Again, he didn't have to work hard. He's a slave. Who cares? Like he's not going up for more pay or anything like that. But he does it anyway. He works up to his ability. He glorifies God. He's a light because he's able to look outside of his life into the bigger picture. What is God trying to do here? How can I glorify him? How can I be a light where I'm at? Now, the second thing I want to point out is it says he became a successful man. That is a weird phrase. Isn't it? He's a slave. What does that mean? How can you be successful? His life is over. I'm sure he's the top slave, but he's still a slave. No value, no rights, none of that. You see, I think for me, for us probably, we, we, we link circumstances and success together. If I have enough money if I, in the bank and I have the status at work, a good family, the lifestyle I want, I'm successful. That's what the world tells us. But here, Joseph is described as a successful man with none of that. No money, no lifestyle, no family, no status, nothing. Why? His choices. He's successful because this was an opportunity for him to glorify God, for him to come alongside God with what he was doing in Joseph, Joseph's life through those circumstances he was in. And Joseph responded. He trusted God and glorified him. It's an interesting passage, right? It's an interesting approach to circumstances. The story goes on, and the Bible says Joseph is handsome. And as a result of that, Potiphar, who's the master referred to here, Potiphar's wife becomes attracted to Joseph and starts trying to convince him to sleep with her. Joseph, again, in those circumstances, does the right thing. He glorifies God, says no. But as a result of that, Potiphar's wife claims that Joseph assaulted her, and Joseph is thrown into prison. Again, went from the top of the heap to a slave, you know, no value, and now stuck in this prison. And it's not a modern American prison with toilets and things like that. I'm sure it was dark, wet, disgusting, not a circumstance you would want to be in. And again, what would you do if this happened? For things totally outside your control, you're doing the right thing. It feels like life is just over. And again, we see what Joseph does in the next few verses, starting in verse 21. The Lord was with Joseph 
and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. Again, you see, it's basically copy and paste of the previous thing. The same thing, success. Joseph takes on responsibility. He works hard. He ends up doing the guards' jobs for them. Again, God is with him. And he knows that and sees this as an opportunity to glorify God and do what God has called him to do. It even says there in verse 21, God showed him steadfast love. And I was like, what? If God really loved him, God would never have let this happen, right? No. God allowed these circumstances to come into Joseph's life and was working it all for good, Romans 8, 28, 29. And so Joseph, despite these circumstances, he trusts God. He focuses on what he can control, his choices, and he chooses to glorify God day in, day out to get to this position where he is a trusted, faithful person in the prison. Right? This is an opportunity for him to come alongside God and what God is working in his life, even you know, in this deep, dark prison, even when it's unclear what the good God is working for actually is in this part. Now, take a step back from this story. I think it's so easy to look at these people in the Old Testament and think, well, yeah, of course Joseph's going to do that. He's famous. He's in the Bible. It's a musical about this guy. You know, he's, he's an extraordinary person, but he's not. He's a normal person. He's just like you and me. There's nothing special about Joseph. I am sure that he really wants to get out of prison. This is not his preference to be in this situation, right? And I'm sure many times in the deep dark of the night when he was alone with his thoughts, he just wondered, you know, what if? What would have happened if I, you know, said something different to my brothers or wasn't there that day when they sold me? What, what could have happened? I'm sure he's thinking these things. But the difference is he doesn't let those thoughts, those desires influence his choices, right? By God's strength, he chooses still to honor God. And, and worship him regardless. You see, it is not Joseph that is extraordinary in this story. It's God who's the extraordinary one. God is the one who has the power to turn all things for good. God is the one who is showing steadfast love. God is the one who is bringing, you know, this influence into Joseph's life. And as Joseph chooses to rely on God, to walk with him, even in the toughest times, rely on his strength, God is the one who gives Joseph the power to live this life that is against all logic described as successful. So what, what this is showing us, I think, and what we need to realize is anybody here can do the same. We're all normal people, just like Joseph. It is God who is the extraordinary one. And we can all choose to do the right thing in any circumstance because we all serve the same God, this extraordinary God that we worship. Story goes on. Joseph's in prison and some of the prisoners start having these dreams. And you remember from earlier, Joseph has the ability to interpret dreams. One prisoner is a baker who used to serve Pharaoh, the head of Egypt, and Joseph interprets that his dream means that the baker is going to be executed, which happens. And the other person is a cupbearer who used to serve Pharaoh. And Joseph interprets that his dream means that the cupbearer is going to be restored back to his previous position with Pharaoh. And that happens as well. And this seems to be an opportunity for Joseph to get out of prison. You know, he's demonstrated this gift. Here's my chance. So he tells the cupbearer as they're leading him out of jail, like, hey, remember me. And cupbearer is like, you got it. And then a few verses later, it says cupbearer forgets him. Circumstances outside of his control. He's in prison for two more years after that. And again, could you imagine? Like, oh, yes, I'm getting out of here. I have this gift. Everyone's going to see it. Nope, two more years. <laughs> what would that have been like? But 
After these two years, Pharaoh, head of Egypt, starts having dreams as well. No one can figure him out. And a light bulb goes on in the cupbearer's head. Ah, yes, I remember this guy in prison. Let's bring him in and see if he can do it. And Joseph does. He interprets that the dream means that a famine is coming that's going to last seven years, but they have seven years to prepare. And so Joseph encourages Pharaoh, hey, like you should get someone wise in here to start planning for that. And Pharaoh's like, do you want to do it? Joseph's like, sure. It's like quite a job interview, right? Um, And Joseph, after all of this, ends up second in command of all Egypt. The story is ridiculous. This is crazy. He's gone from, again, top of the heap, all these great circumstances, to a slave in prison, and now maybe even higher than he was before, second in command of all Egypt. But here, here is where we need to be careful. Because here is where the story gets really challenging. We really need to pay attention. Because I think, I think many people are sitting here thinking, yes, makes sense. Trust God in hard circumstances, heard it before, we know this. But I'm, I'm in pretty good circumstances. I think a lot of us would say this. We all have hard things in life. I'm not saying that. But relatively, I think we would all say things are going pretty well, right? We're experiencing nothing like this. We all have pretty good circumstances in life. And that is the blessing of God. We ought to be thankful for that. That is his grace in our lives. But we need to be careful with that because good circumstances can be deceiving. You see, it's so easy for us as believers to just cling to God in these hard times. God, we need you to so clearly see our deep, deep need for God when things are tough, right? We have no control. We have no control over these hard circumstances. This is when we need God. And then God, you know, raises up, things are going well, and then we forget him when things start going well. Oh, maybe I have it under control. Maybe I can take care of things. And that's what you see all throughout the Old Testament. That's the pattern of Israel, right? Israel is going through tough times. They're being oppressed by other nations. They're struggling. They cry out to God. They come back to God. God delivers them. And it's in those moments when things are going good, when God is lavishing blessing on them, that they turn away. That's what God's there for, right? Just to bail us out when things get hard, and then we'll see you next time when we need your help. No. Romans 8, 28, 29, God is wanting to use all circumstances, good and bad, to (laughs) to work good in our lives to make us more like Christ. You see, we need God just as much in the good circumstances as in the bad. We can't forget him there. Your choices matter just as much then. They are just as much as an opportunity to come alongside God and what he's doing to develop Christ-like character in our lives. And so we come back to Joseph, second most powerful man in Egypt, probably the world at this point. He has the best possible circumstances you can imagine. Wealth, favor, servants, power, influence, everything you could possibly want. And he's presented with a very, very difficult choice because the famine indeed comes. Egypt has prepared. They're ready. They have all the food they need. But the famine has spread to the other lands around there, including where Joseph's brothers live. And they're starving. They have no food. They hear Egypt has food. And they go to Egypt to ask for food. And who is the one that they have to ask? Joseph. He's in charge of metering out all the food. And here he he is, the people who betrayed him at his feet, begging for their lives. They're going to die if they don't get food. He could have done whatever he wanted. And they don't recognize him. It's been years. But, you know, he could have said, hey, remember me? It's Joseph. You're slaves now. He could have said that. He could have killed them. Chopped off their heads. No one would have said anything. He had that much power. Bye. What does he choose to do in these amazingly good circumstances with all this power? Genesis chapter 45. 
He tells them, hurry and go up to my father and say to him, thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen and you shall be near me, you and your children and your children's children and your flocks, your herds, all that you have. There I will provide for you for there are yet five years of famine to come so that you and your household, all that you have do not come to poverty. Joseph forgives them. He feeds them. But he doesn't even just do that. He lavishes blessing on them. He says, come live with me. I will provide for you. He makes a very, very God-honoring choice there. And does that remind you of anyone? It's Jesus. Jesus does this. This is how Jesus treats us. You see, we are like the brothers. At Jesus' feet, we have all sinned. We have all done wrong against God, and we all deserve to die as a result of that. That's what the Bible says. And so we find ourselves at Jesus' feet, literally begging for life. And what does Jesus do? He forgives us. He raises up. He lavishes blessing on us, calls us sons of God. And so here we can vividly see Romans 8, 28 and 29 in the story of Joseph. Through all of those circumstances, the bad and the good, he has developed through God's power this Christ-like character to do this amazing act, this very, very difficult choice that he had. And as Joseph chose to glorify God again and again and again, agnostic of the situation he was in, God really developed him into a godly man. And he was able to save many people beyond just his brothers from, from starving to death. And that's an amazing life, isn't it? We can all live this life too because it's not based on circumstances. It's based on choices. So in order to do this, we just have some choices we need to make. And I have four, four choices I think we need to make this morning. The first choice we need to make is we need to choose to be content and not compare. Comparison is one of those things in life that will just destroy you because comparison is circumstance-focused. Oh, man, I really want what they have. So I'm just going to focus everything on getting that. Or maybe you can put a little Christianity in it. You know, oh, if I was only in that situation, then I could glorify God. I think one for me that I, I think about a lot is I compare myself to extroverts. I'm an introvert. This is the most you'll ever hear me talk. I'm out of words after this. <laughs> I'm literally going to go back and lay in bed. You can ask my wife. Um, I'll be very tired after this. But I, well, I tend to my, compare myself to extroverts. Like, they're, they're just going to be better at, at sharing the gospel and, and meeting people and doing good for God. You know, I, I just, I'm too quiet to do that. That's comparing circumstances. I had no control that I'm an introvert. I didn't check anything off when I was born, like on a questionnaire, like God made me like that. Uh, and you know, I can choose to go out to meet people, to share my faith. And as I have, God has really used me to do things. You know, it's just, it's just the same as, as with Joseph. Could you imagine if Joseph was comparing himself as a slave? I'll just match the other slaves level of work. Like, even though I'm so gifted in these other things, I'll it's fine, I'll just get by with what they're doing. He could have compared himself to his brothers. Like, hey, when they were in my situation, they sold me into slavery. I'm just going to do the same. You see, if Joseph compares himself, the story doesn't even happen. We don't even get beyond the slavery part. Take a look at 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 8, and what it tells us about being content. Godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we'll be content. It says contentment there is gain, but it's godliness with contentment. This isn't about just sitting on your hands and being complacent and just ah, floating through life. That's not what this is saying. 
what we're saying here is if you have the peace in your circumstances and just keep making the godly choices in the midst of them, that's, that's gain. Why? Again, it's Romans 8, 28, 29, because you come alongside God and what he's doing in your life, developing the Christ-like character to do it. And you can see the bar is actually pretty, pretty low for being content. If you have food and clothing, that's all you need. Everyone has clothing. Thank you. Everyone seems to have food. We can all be content. Thank you again. Um, we can all be content. So step one, choice one, choose to be content and don't compare. The second choice, you need to choose to act now. I think it is very tempting for us to put off serving God or maybe put off serving God to the extent that we think God wants us to serve him until we have some circumstances in order. Well, I don't have that much time right now. Work's pretty tough. When I have a little more time at work and work slows down, then I can do some of this other stuff. Uh, You know, maybe God wants me to give more, but once I have the down payment, then I can give a little more. We, We all think stuff like this. But God wants us to do things now in anticipation of who he wants us to be later. Again, think of Joseph. Joseph ends up administering this huge effort of saving food for an entire nation and then, you know, saving it such that he could bless other nations. Where did he learn to do that? In Potiphar's house when he was administering there and in the prison when he was administering there. And sure, maybe he was gifted in some of these things, but that's where he learned to do that because he chose to act then and now instead of waiting till, well, I'll wait till I get out of prison to interpret my dreams and stuff. No, he didn't do that. He did it now. And along the way, God developed that Christ-like character in him such that when he was in that position, he could do it well and not only just feed Egypt, but bless so many other people as well. We see this, Jesus tells us this in Luke 16, verse 10. One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. You see, when we wait to do what God wants us to do until our circumstances get better, until we have more, much, we're deceiving ourselves. If you're not doing it now, you're not going to do it later when the circumstances change. You've got to start now. Choose to act now with whatever you have, even if it's just a little. Choose to act now. Next, we have to choose to endure. The point of this talk is not to belittle hard circumstances. Like, ah, oh, just get over it. That's not what I'm saying. Hard circumstances are hard. I know that. We all know that. Um, but we can endure. Again, think of Joseph and all the times he could have given up. When he was marching off the, uh, into the desert, he could have just fallen on his knees and they probably would have killed him right then and there. He could have given up when he was a slave. He could have given up on his brothers. Right? He could have said, ah, forget you guys. I'm just going to send you away. But he didn't. He kept going. He knew that God was doing something bigger. Take a look at Galatians 6. Verses 9 and 10. Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are the household of faith. You see, what happens is we tend to get weary when we're not seeing fruit in our lives. When we're doing the right thing, when we're glorifying God, serving him, and it seems like nothing's coming of it. But look what that verse says. One, in due season. God's in control of when the fruit comes, but also the promise of we will see it if, that's a big if, I think, but if we do not give up. That's why we need to endure. And that is hard, but God promises, and we could take him at his word, that that good is coming. Again, Romans 8, 28 and 29. That will come in this life or the next, but it will if we do not give up. God is faithful. 
God is good. We can trust him. We can trust him that he meant it when he said this and that he'll strengthen us along the way, just like he did with Joseph as we lean into him. So as opportunities come up to do good, you know, keep going, keep going in your tough circumstances. Choose to endure. And the last one, choose God's perspective. Choose God's perspective on your circumstances. At the very end of his life, Joseph is reminiscing on everything that's happened. And he says this in Genesis 50, verse 20. He's talking to his brothers here. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Again, Romans 8, 28. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. You see, God had a bigger purpose for Joseph's life and his circumstances in his life. God knew everything that was going to happen. And he used Joseph to make an impact. Many people's lives were saved because God using Joseph. So if you believe that God is good, I hope that you do, because he is. If you believe that and that he orchestrates all of our circumstances for good, it's a lot easier to choose the right thing in the moment when we can't see the full picture yet. We can have hope. We can have faith that God is there. He's working for our good. Again, you may not see it in the moment. God's in control of when it comes, fruit in due season. But ultimately, life is not about you and having the circumstances you want. Life is about choosing to glorify God and being part of the bigger picture, the bigger story that he is telling. So I want to leave us with a caution on that note. Because I think it is so easy to look at Joseph's story and this incredibly happy ending, right? Circumstance is fantastic. Everyone's living together. They're having a great time in Goshen there. And, and just to think that, well, if I put this into practice, if I choose these things, eventually I'll be second in command of Egypt too, whatever that looks like for you. Eventually all the, circ- maybe it is being second in command of Egypt. Um, whatever circumstance I want, I will eventually get. That's not true though. It's just not. You know, it is quite possible that you spend your whole life diligently and faithfully glorifying God, choosing the right thing, and see no impact on your earthly circumstance. Uh, You just have to look at the Apostle Paul's life. Paul lived a very focused life on, on choosing the right thing and glorifying God. And you see, along the way, Paul's circumstances get worse and worse and worse. And I'm not gonna do it justice, so I'll just let Paul tell us in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, just once, not too bad. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, dangers in the wilderness, danger at sea, dangers from false brothers, keeps going, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night and hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and... Apart from other things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who's on setup team this week? It's very stressful. You see, Paul continues despite all of that happening. That didn't happen in one day. That happened over the course of his life, over and over, as he kept choosing to preach the gospel, to serve God, to glorify Jesus in this life. His circumstances get worse and worse and worse. But Paul has a profound perspective on all of this in Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. 
I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him, Jesus, who strengthens me. Now, verse 13 there is pretty famous. I think you've probably heard that. You know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And we tend to think about that in terms of personal achievement. I think the first time I ever heard this, it was an Olympian. She won a gold medal. She quoted this verse, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But that's not what this verse is actually about, is it? This verse is about circumstances. And it's about that no matter your circumstance, low, abound, anything, you can be content. You can choose to follow God. God is with you and has given you the power to choose what is glorifying to him through Christ who strengthens you. You know, life is not about orchestrating the circumstances that we want. It is about coming alongside God and what he is doing in our lives. And in the midst of anything, any circumstance, he can strengthen you to start making those God-honoring choices to be content. Circumstances, right? Like anything to be content, to endure, to do all these things that we just talked about. Joseph was not successful because of the circumstances he ended his life in. And neither was Paul successful because of his circumstances, right? Paul ends up dead in a prison. Both of their lives were successful, though. And they were successful because of the choices they made along the way. Because no matter what they were faced with, they spent their lives glorifying God time and time again. And so this morning, I challenge us all to live a similar life. We can all do this. Every single person here is given an opportunity. We're given an opportunity to glorify God and come alongside him, what he's doing in our lives and the lives of the people around us through the circumstances we have, through what he has given us. And if you choose to focus on your choices instead of your circumstances, your choices, we can all live a successful life. And you know, it, it may not be successful by the world's standards, but that's okay because we can all live a life that is just successful by God. And that's what matters most in this life and the next. So let me pray for us and we can keep worshiping. God, um, thank you for this incredible story. Thank you for the incredible promise in, in Romans 8, 28 to 29, that you work everything for good. I don't know what's going on in the people's lives here. Um, I imagine there's some pretty tough circumstances and some pretty good ones too. So thank you for those. But God, I do pray that you would just remind us of this truth day in, day out, that no matter what's going on, we can trust you. You give us the strength through Christ to do all things to your glory. Um, and you're working all things for our good. That is so hard to see sometimes. So God, I just pray that you would strengthen us, help us to realize that. And I do pray that you would <laughs> make true on your promise in Galatians 6, 9 and show that fruit to us. Um, we trust you for that. So God, thank you so much for this group. Thank you for everything you're doing in our lives. Thank you for all the good you've brought about. We love you so much and we praise you this morning. In your name, amen.